I'm Bishop Sherman Young. Each week, the Word Break podcast answers questions about God, faith, and other spiritual issues. Here is this week's message. Philippians chapter 1. And I'm going to read it from the New American Standard Version. As you know, in the summer, each year, I preach faith, a series on faith. The series this year is entitled, Challenging Your Future. And I want to talk to you about possibilities in life and things that you can do to change the course and direction of your life. Now, I'm very aware of several misconceptions when it comes to this. And if you don't mind, I'd like to be very direct about them because the devil has been very successful in deceiving people with bad thoughts concerning God. Let me open this by saying that everyone in this room needs to understand that there are attitudes in the atmosphere that can control whole masses of people. For example, Haiti is known for witchcraft where the United States is not known for that. The United States is known for racism, where other countries may not be known for that. We call those principalities. Now, within your city or your community or your ethnic group, there can be certain attitudes that keep people from moving forward. I grew up in a time and in a city where we were programmed to think a certain way because we were black. And therefore, it kept a lot of people back because they had been programmed to think that change was impossible. Today, we gather here in this part of Alabama. And maybe because of your upbringing or your family or your neighborhood or the school you went to, you're already thinking a certain way about your life. Listen and believe. Your life can change today forevermore. Here's another problem. People believe that God has fixed everything so that it doesn't really matter how much you try to move around. God already has your life planned out. That is not true. People believe that there's a certain day when everybody is going to die. You know, your birthday was June the 20th, whatever the year. So it's already fixed. You're going to live 69, 89, 99 years, and then you're going to die, and God has already set that up. That is a lie. People so much believe that, that when death comes early, they will run to your house and say it was the will of God. So your little boy got hit by a drunk driver, and people from the church will come over to your house and say, well, you know, it was just God's will. Well, that's a lie. That was not God's will. There is no such thing as a set date for people for their death. That is not true at all. If that were true, the Bible would be a lie. It even says in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother that your days may be long, which means that 
the length of my life is more in my hands than it is in God's hands. Now, yes, there can be accidents and there can be car wrecks and there can be plane crashes. But if we're talking about normal life cycle and the time that one can live, that is more in your hands than it is in God's hands. God's gift to me is life. What I do with that life is my gift to God. If you don't like the way your life is today, change it. If you think your future is fixed, you're cheating yourself on all the good things that you could have in life. Because you think that because you're a certain color or because you only got so far in school or because you only got so many things done or because you had a baby early or because you did not marry some particular person or because you married the wrong particular person, you think that your life is now set. And too many of us are living with regrets concerning the past. If I had only gone back to school then, if I had only married the first guy that proposed to me, if I had only waited until I was older before I made certain decisions. True, things do happen, bad decisions can be made, and it can slow us down. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, what slows you down cannot ultimately stop you. You can change the course of your life today. Let me try that again, and I am looking for a witness. You see, we have to stop thinking that we're puppets, that God has his hand up our back, or that he has some strings on us, and that we're limited in what we can do. There are no limits for God's children. Can you say that with me? There are what? No limits to God's children. I want to read Philippians 1, and I'm going to talk to you about having the right mindset for this. And bear in mind the background of what we're going to read, because the man who's writing it is in jail. He's under house arrest. His name is Paul, and he writes half of the New Testament. And he is writing this from jail. The second thing I need you to bear in mind is that out of all the 14 letters that he wrote, this one is called the joy letter or the joy book. That this letter, Philippians, is one that has no rebuke in it. He's not expressing any doctrinal teaching. When you read Philippians 1, what Paul is doing is thanking the church for offerings that they had sent to him while in jail. Now, they're not sending him cigarette money. They're sending him money because they love him. You see, he doesn't have a canteen in this jail. In this jail, there is no place he can go to a vending machine. In this jail, there is no cigarette machine. In this jail, he's just awaiting trial. But they loved him so much that they sent him an offering. He doesn't need the money, but they needed to give it. Let me try that again because you missed it. He didn't need to receive it. They needed to give it. Because he is in jail, their sowing into his life is going to be a blessing to their church. And so he writes a thank you letter. He writes back to them a letter of appreciation. 
and he, they're located in a town called Philippi. So the name of the letter is Philippians. It's a book here in the New Testament. Listen at what he says in verse 9, chapter 1. And this I pray. This I pray. Say that with me, church. This I pray. What do people pray in jail? <laughs> they pray to get out. They pray that the judge will listen to their family or their lawyer. What is he praying? He's not praying for himself. He's praying for others. What do you pray when you're in trouble? What do you pray when you feel that you can't get out of a situation? You say, I pray to get out. Maybe you should change your prayer life. And use that negative situation in a positive way. And you know what you'll find? Victory. Listen at this. This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent. In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. And the people of God will say amen. amen. Thank you, ushers. Living above average is to learn to balance your context. Where are you in life right now? If you're going to live the above average life, you have to learn to deal with today. In learning to deal with today, you should know that your backstory is your greatest weapon against defeat. What you've come through was educational. What you come through has taught you. And what you've come through has prepared you for today. Rather than look at your situation as a curse, understand that today is the first day of the rest of your life. And therefore, your future, starting today, can be totally different than your past. You've come through hard trial, tribulation, and trouble. But understand this, it's all for the future. And if you're going to live the above average life, you've got to learn how to bring balance to where you are right now. Happiness is dependent upon happenings. If there ain't no happenings, there ain't no happiness. But joy is determined by your relationship with God. And learning to have joy in the midst of trouble is the greatest secret of life. Learning to have joy when you don't have happiness is the greatest secret of life. Let me try that again. Having joy without happiness. Do you know that you can have joy without happiness? But what we do is we get the two things confused. We think joy means that I'm laughing all day long every day. When joy is not about how loud I laugh, it's about how well I live. And I may not get everything I want, but I have to learn to want what I've got. And when I learn how to want what I have, I'm in a position where the Lord can get more to me. And what we have to learn as we read this is that this man is in jail. 
but jail is not in him. All around him, there are people who are depressed because they're in jail, but he is not depressed. Around him, there are people who are crying themselves to sleep at night, but he prays and praises and worships his way to sleep at night. When he gets up in the morning, according to whatever time and schedule that is set, there are people who are grumbling, griping, complaining, and cussing. But he gets up looking for an opportunity to let God be seen in the midst of his incarceration. You've got to learn how to deal with your context. You've got to learn how to deal with your situation. And never let what is outside of you destroy what's on the inside of you. I wish I had a little help. Because the real great secret of Christianity is that we have an inner strength that the world cannot understand. We have an inner peace. We have an inner joy. We have an inner strength that is baffling to the world. But that only happens as you let God have his place in the priorities of your life. So my history is my best friend because it is there that I was shaped. It is there where my thinking was shaped. It's there where my outlook on life was shaped in my history. Now, there are three mindsets that will destroy every life. The first one is fear. Can you say fear? The second one is shame with a better voice. Would you say shame? The third is doubt, but everyone say doubt. Those three mindsets can destroy your life. Fear, shame, and doubt. You will never be successful in life if you live in fear, shame, or doubt. You'll never achieve anything for God with fear, shame, and doubt. The scriptures give us some idea of what that is. When you talk about fear, do you remember when Jesus in Mark chapter 4 was on the ship and a storm came up and the disciples panicked and they came down and they woke him up and he went up on top of the ship and then he stopped the storm with his voice. Peace be still. He said to them, how were you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now the Bible talks about no faith and then the Bible talks about faith and then the Bible talks about great faith. When there is no faith, there will be fear. Fear and faith can't live in the same glass. Fear and faith cannot live in the same heart. If you're living in fear, you're not a person of faith. If you are a person of faith, you're not living in fear. Now, you can be afraid without having a spirit of fear. A spirit of fear means that you size everything up in the negative. You're afraid to try to be successful. You're afraid to try to change the course or trajectory of your life. You're afraid to go back to school because of your age or because you didn't do well the last time. You're afraid to apply for certain jobs because they may not accept you and you can't stand rejection. 
you're afraid to start a relationship with a nice person because the last three relationships ended up as a disaster. You're afraid of marriage because you tried it when you were young and you were too young and they were too young and you were kind of not serious and they were kind of silly and it didn't work out and now you're afraid. Because you're afraid, you end up every time compromising and taking something beneath God's standard. Because I'm afraid I, to invest, I'll spend my money. Anybody know what I'm saying? Because I'm afraid to commit to school, I will just stay where I am and wish and hope and pray that things get better. Because I'm afraid to make a commitment in marriage, I'll fall short of that and just move in with somebody because the divorce rate is so high. I'm afraid to do anything and I'm living in a spirit of fear. Now the Bible said God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and good judgment. Can you say, can everybody repeat after me? I have power, I have love, and I have sound judgment. But listen, having it and using it ain't the same thing. Let me try that again. Listen, to have a car and never use it is not the same thing. You say, but I own a car. Well, why are you always bumming a ride with me? Well, I don't want to get my car dirty, so I keep it in the garage. I washed it two years ago, and I locked it up in the garage. And every time I go out there and turn the light on, my tires are still armor all. Well, why don't you drive your car? Because if I drive it, then the, the, the tires won't shine long because the dirt and the dust and the water will get on them and I'll have to wash it again. So I keep it locked up in the garage and catch a ride with you. How many people have locked up their power, locked up their love, and locked up their judgment in a place where it cannot work? But they keep trying to borrow everybody else's. I don't have a witness here. You see, I, have, I don't have a spirit of fear. I have power. Yeah. Let me try that again. Yeah. What do you mean by you have power? It means we have authority. We have authority in this world because we are children of God. It is important to remember that God had a son named Jesus and the son of God came to this world and became a son of man so that sons of men can become sons of God. That when you accept Jesus Christ, there's an authority that you have in the world because you are God's child. Jesus said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now you go. And you duplicate me in other people. I've been duplicated in Jesus. You know, we have a copy machine in the office. You've seen how they work. You take the original. You put it on the top of it. You close the cover. And then when the machine runs, out comes a copy of it. Anybody know what I'm saying? Well, listen, that's what we are as children of God. We are copies of Jesus Christ. 
Do you see how he uses his authority? He walks on the earth for three and a half years. He speaks over the sick and they get well. He speaks over the poor and they are increased. He speaks over those who are rejected and those rejects of society. And he gives them a testimony that allows them to become a leader. I don't have a witness here. When he meets the woman at the well, she is a scarlet lettered woman. She is from the red light district. She has the worst reputation of any woman in the village of Sychar. But when he gives her living water that didn't come from the well, she goes back to the village and the Bible said by her testimony... They closed down the businesses. They closed down the post office. They closed down what they were doing. And the Bible said the whole city went out to meet Jesus. He can transform you from the person in town with the worst reputation to the leader of the whole city. I don't have a witness here. See, you don't have to be the mayor to be the leader. As a matter of fact, in most cities, the mayor is the political leader, but they don't have any real influence out in the neighborhood. The person with the influence in the neighborhood is the one that God can use. And so God is looking for the one with the greatest influence. He's not giving us a spirit of fear, but power, love. I have a spirit of love. Love is the greatest force in the world. How do I know? Come on, Bible readers. What does the Bible say? God is love. Love is the greatest power. And he's given us the spirit of a sound mind or a better translation, good decisions. Do you second guess yourself all the time? Do you make an early commitment then after you think about it a few minutes or a couple of days, you all of a sudden turn and go another direction? Have you found yourself second guessing yourself out of promotions? and blessings because you were so afraid of failure you got to learn to trust your own judgments some people never get off center because they got to get everybody's approval before they make a decision I don't have a witness here and they'll go to the most jealous folk in their life and ask them what do you think about it because the truth is your family ain't always in your corner the truth is your classmates have not always been in your corner. The truth is just because I've known you the longest don't mean I wish you the best. The truth is you'll find more hate amongst those that you're closest to than those that don't really know you. And you will never move your life off center if what you're doing is checking with everybody and then polling everybody to see what the public opinion is before you make a move in any direction. You cannot be afraid to be wrong. I've been wrong a whole lot of times. Anybody here like me? I have made bad choices, I've made bad decisions, I've done things I never should have done, but guess what? I've grown from that. I've grown more from my mistakes than I have from my success. Success will rock you to sleep. 
Success can weaken you. Success can make you think you're more than who you really are. Success can make you stuck up. Success can make you think that you're invincible. Your mistakes remind you you ain't nothing but flesh and blood. Your success reminds you, listen, when you're successful, you think that you're great, but your failures remind you if it wasn't for the grace of God, you would never get anything right. It's not your greatness, it's his grace. Fear. But the next thing to hold you back in life, please listen, is shame. Are you ashamed? Maybe because of the way you were brought up. Maybe because the other kids always laughed at you. Maybe because you were never dressed right. Maybe because your haircut was never right. Maybe because your mama couldn't afford certain things. Did you grow up with shame? What, did somebody abuse you when you were young? Did they touch you in the wrong place? Did some babysitter or some relative take advantage of you and you've never told it? And then when you thought you could tell it, you find out that nobody really wants to believe it? Are you ashamed? Are you ashamed because of your size? Are you ashamed because of your skin? Are you ashamed because of your face? Are you ashamed because your voice is too light? Or people say they don't understand you when you talk? Are you ashamed because no matter how many times you thought you had got it right and you bragged and said that God had blessed you, you only found out you were in the wrong place? Am I talking to anybody? Because the truth is a whole lot of us in this room grew up ashamed. Some of us had spots on our face. Some of us had, had deformities. Some of us walked deformed. Some of us had all kinds of issues that seemed to shape our thinking. And we hold our head down now more than we hold it up. You know why some people are so mean-spirited? Know why some folk cuss all the time? Because they've had to fight all of their lives. I wish I had some help. Come on, going back to going back to the movie, The Color Purple. You remember that movie? You remember Oprah uh, playing Sophie, and you remember that fight she had with Harpo. And you remember she said, "I had I grew up in a, a girl in a family of men's ain't safe." She said, "I love Harpo. God, no, I do." But I'll kill him dead if he strikes me again. Were you a girl growing up in a family of men? Or were you a man growing up in a family of women? And therefore it made you a mama's boy, so they say. Therefore you don't walk in a certain way, but, you know, people think you're a little feminine. You ain't feminine, that's just the only model that you had growing up. Was females, I don't have any help here. Did you find yourself still putting on your mama's house shoes and high heels when you were 12? Come on, that's a lot to overcome. I wish I had a witness here. Have you heard what people have said about you behind your back that they never intended for you to hear, but you heard it anyway? Are you ashamed? Are you ashamed because of your circumstance? Listen, don't live in shame. You have to take authority over it. The Bible said when God came walking through the garden in the cool of the evening, Genesis 3, he said, Adam, where are you? And they said, we're over here in these trees. Said we were naked and we were ashamed. Transparency 
can cause you to be ashamed. You ever stood naked before the world? The rumor got out about you or it got in the newspaper or they put it on Facebook? All your business is out? That can make you ashamed. Do I have a witness here? But don't live in shame. The next thing is doubt. Doubt will keep you from prospering. You've got to trust God because he is the only one that can get you from where you are to where you desire to be. But he can't use a coward and he can't bless a coward and he can't bless a person that's afraid to step out on the edge. Can I say this to you, saints? Whatever you settle for, you eventually settle into. If you settle for abuse, if you settle for being poor, if you settle for not having a job, if you settle for not having an education, if you settle for being what folk talk about, then you will eventually grow right into that settled place. See, fear, shame, and doubt start as thoughts. Can you please say thoughts? I think, therefore, I'm afraid. I think, therefore, I'm ashamed. I think, therefore, I'm in doubt. Check it out. Thoughts are seeds. When the seeds grow and mature, they become spirits. A spirit is an attitude. A spirit is a response. A spirit is a mindset. A spirit is a stance in life. I think, therefore, now I have a spirit of fear. I think, therefore, I have a spirit of shame. I think about it, therefore, I don't trust my decisions and I live in doubt. So to live in victory, I need to do three things. And that's right in the scripture and we're going to go. First of all, I need to adjust. Secondly, I need to approve. And thirdly, I need to abound. Now we see that here with Paul and the writing. Are you with me? Because Paul is in jail, but he's adjusted. How do I know he's adjusted? Come on now. Come on now. I told you that he's in jail writing a love letter. A happy letter. You know, it's in Philippians where we get all those great statements of Paul. What about this one where he says, he that had begun a good work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know who wrote that? Paul in Philippians. What about this verse? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know who wrote that? Paul. You know where he wrote it from? In jail to the church at Philippi. What about this one? I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Who wrote it? Paul. Where did he write it from? Jail. Who did he write it to? The Philippians. Listen, you got to adjust even if you're down and without. You got to learn how to say, I know that I can do all things. 
I ain't got no money in my pocket, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't have the job that my sister got, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't have to brag or boast what others brag or boast of, but here's what I can boast of. I can do all things. I wish I had a witness around here. I feel like shouting. Listen at what he said. For he said, he said, I'm convinced that he which hath begun a good work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. How? When you're in jail. How is he gonna do any good work in you? And you can't even go where you want to go and do what you want to do and help those you want to help. It's a mindset, baby. It's understanding that no matter what I don't have, God is still working in me. God working in me is not evidenced by a BMW. God working in me is not evidence because I drive a Benz. God working in me is not evidence because I got a Bentley. God working in me is not evidence because I got a two-story house. A whole lot of folks got BMWs going to hell. A whole lot of people got Benzes, can't sleep at night. I wish I had a witness. A whole lot of folk got 5,000 square foot houses and they don't have no love in the house. They got a house, but the house is not a home. You got to learn how to take that shotgun house and turn it into a home. If you learn how to make a house in the projects a home, you'll know how to make a mansion a home when God gives it to you. If if you learn how to deal with the little things in life you won't get beside yourself when God blesses you and elevates you hey elbow somebody and say he's still working on me honey honey hey 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 don't judge me by my hair do honey he's still working on me don't judge me because I need a feeling on my nails. He's still working on me. Don't you judge me because I wore this dress five years ago and you recognize I'm still wearing it. He's still working on me. Don't you judge me because I had to catch a ride to church. I still want you to know he's still working on me. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of folk wanting to hold up their material things against mine and then talk about God is good. Honey, God is good when you ain't got no car. God is good when you can't afford to get your hair done. God is good when you don't have money to go with your friends on a girl's night out. God is good all the time. He's still working on me. Adjust, adjust, adjust. Don't ever walk around with your head down because you can't match up to somebody else. You better get out there and wash that old bent up car. Put your best shoes on with the run over heels. I don't have a witness here. Put your clip-ons on. (laughs) 
and go right on in where they're going. Don't ever worry about keeping up with the Joneses because you'll meet them again on their way back down. Adjust. I'm through. Give me, give me three minutes. We're going to leave. Stay free of offense. Would you say offense? I'm almost through, but listen. A whole lot of folk can't adjust to the fact that folk don't like them. You'll never be progressive trying to please others. Because they keep moving the bar every time you get to where they said you ought to be. So don't hate them because they hating you. That won't help you. The best way the Bible teaches to conquer them is to be successful. Let me try it again. See, you think the best way to get your enemies to back off is for you to confront them. No, the best way is to show them that you ain't studying them. I, that's a good old Alabama word, right? I ain't studying you. The, the best way is to let them know their talk has never even occurred to you as being anything other than talk. Adjust. Somebody say adjust. But then Paul said two more things and let's go. He said that your love may abound and that you will approve all things. Approve means you got to desire only the best and reject anything beneath your standard. Oh, sisters, come on now. Come on now. Just because he's nice in everything else, don't let him cuss you. Don't let him demean you. Don't let him be condescent talking down to you. Well, well Pastor, he, 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 he's so nice though with everything else. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Your standard has to be your standard. I don't care how nice he is. You ain't got no business paying his cell phone bill every month. I don't have a witness in this church. I don't care. How, listen, a man takes care of his responsibilities. A man takes care of what he's supposed to pay for. A man don't live off of women. And just because he's nice to your children or because he's nice to your mama or because he's nice to you, you still got to have a standard that you don't come beneath. I don't know why my sisters would take up for a no good man because they like five other things about him. See, he can be good on five points, but on that one half point can be the deal breaker. Do I have a witness in the house? And the truth is, I got to approve of what comes into my life. I've got to approve of where my money goes. I got to approve of what I will stand for. And I got to reject that that is beneath my bar. Oh, pastor, but my friends say my, I'm too picky, huh? 
too picky. Is this my life or yours? Too picky? Are these my standards or yours? Too picky? Do you even know what my goals and dreams are? I wish I had a witness here. I need to hitch myself to something that's trying to go where I'm trying to go. Reach over, look at your neighbor, tell your neighbor, don't hook up with a jackass. You got to have a standard. Not only adjust, but approve. And here's the last thing. I know you're ready to go. He said, abound in wisdom and knowledge. How many know you can't ever stop learning? You can't ever stop growing. That cell phone you got is, is for more than Facebook and video games. It's to help you learn and grow. Can I get a witness? I don't know why you want an $800 computer in your pocket and all you do is text. God help me today. That phone costs more than your TV. And all you do is text. Do you know what kind of ties you could have on your car for $800? You got slick ties on the car and an $865 phone in your pocketbook. Abound in knowledge. Learn about where you want to go in life. Help me today, Lord. Over where I live, they got the dermatologist for making hip-hop video. That's my dermatologist. I didn't want to say it on the CD. You saw hip-hop. Where do you want to go in life? If you want to go there, you have to sow there. I don't want a doctor ain't been to medical school. Do you? I don't care how good a contractor is on making cabinets for your kitchen. When you got a toothache, you don't want him pulling your teeth. You want somebody with knowledge. And knowledge is a valuable thing. Don't ever stop learning. I wish I had a witness. Read all you can. Don't just use your TV for entertainment. Learn something. Watch some other channels that teach you how to do it. Now, some of y'all watching the Food Network, but you ain't cooking. I see you at the drive-thru window. You're using the Food Channel for entertainment. Some of my sisters love HGTV, but they don't own a screwdriver. They're just looking at what the house was and what it is now. But listen, you got to apply your brain to something other than fun. But even that's not enough because Paul said abound in knowledge and wisdom. My father used to say knowledge will teach you how to get to town. 
But wisdom will teach you how to act when you get downtown. And knowledge alone ain't enough. I know some smart fools. Oh, I know you don't know any. I'm trying to finish this. I know some educated dummies. I know some people with PhDs and master's degrees that don't have the sense God gave a goat. Listen, it's not about knowledge alone. You need knowledge and wisdom. You need to know what God can do, will do, and shall do in your life. You need to put that knowledge to work so that the wisdom of God and the knowledge of the world will work together. And if you walk according to the will of God, if you walk in obedience to God, if you live by the standards of God, knowledge and wisdom working together will open doors that no man can close. What good is it that you got a master's degree and you don't know how to say good morning? What good is it you got a PhD and don't know how to say thank you and please and have courtesy when you're dealing with the public? You got to have knowledge and wisdom and they work together in order for you to get ahead in life, to get opportunities in life knowledge and wisdom working together can get you a promotion on your job knowledge and wisdom together can get you elevated in your career knowledge and wisdom together can give you a authority and influence in your community abound in knowledge abound in wisdom and watch God open doors that no man can close won't he provide what no man can take away won't he feed you but not only that won't he bless you won't he bless you won't he bless you are there any blessed people here reach over touch somebody tell them you don't know who you looking at I'm blessed and highly favored I'm blessed by the best I'm blessed with understanding wisdom and knowledge I'm blessed because Paul said in whatsoever state I am I've learned how to be content when I didn't have nothing I still had Jesus and now that I got more I still got Jesus thank you Jesus he brought me a mighty